Welcome to The Orchard Outlook, a podcast by Perania to help commercial tree fruit growers produce delicious apples using best practices. I'm your host, Michelle Cortens, and I hope to bring you sweet success. In today's episode, we're talking about harvest indices and post-harvest storage with Dr. John DeLong. Dr. DeLong has been a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada since 1996, after graduating from the Pennsylvania State University's Department of Horticulture. Over the last 23 years, his research has focused on harvest maturity and storage quality retention of apple fruit and regional wine grapes. John joins us to talk about how to measure fruit maturity at harvest using traditional and new methods. Thanks to post-harvest physiologists like John, we can enjoy fresh apples long after harvest. Hi, Dr. DeLong. Thanks for joining us. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Michelle. Can you start by describing how apple maturity has traditionally been measured? Well, that's a, that's a long, long answer, but to make a long answer a short answer, we have uh, numerous uh, both chemical and physical indices to tell us whether an apple is immature, mature, or overmature. And some of these include starch testing, which is really an iodine mixture that was sprayed on the cortex surface of an apple after you cut it open. It tells you whether the apple is starchy or those starches are converting into sugars. When uh, high in starch, the surface area is black, and when there are uh, lots of sugars and no starch, it's completely white. So we we have indices nearly for each cultivar that will tell you whether an apple is uh, starchy or not starchy, and that's related to immaturity on over to maturity. We can look at color both visually. The human eye is really quite adept at picking out color differences. There are machines called colorimeters that we can measure color on on numeric scales, and that's helpful. Firmness, of course, is a big issue. and We have penetrometers in the lab that really measure the force that's required to plunge the penetrometer a certain distance into the uh, flesh of the cortex, and that's important for firmness evaluation. Acidity, along with sugars, really is important for taste, and apples right now would be very, very acid if you could get your teeth into them. Uh, the, the dominant acid is malic acid, and it's very, very tart. But as the apple matures, uh, that malic acid decreases because it's converted biochemically into other things. So the idea is to have the sugar and the starch in a balance that's, that not only is pleasant, but it's characteristic for that cultivar, and that's always a challenge. But when the apple is mature, that sugar-acid uh, balance is an important issue. And ethylene, we can measure ethylene through something called a gas chromatograph. It's quite expensive. It's hard to do in the field because you need a lab to do it and so forth. But ethylene is kind of like the conductor of of much maturity biochemistry. So knowing where the ethylene is, that can give you an indication on where the apple is uh, as it is maturing. So if you were to walk through my lab, you would see instruments both more simple and quite complex to measure all of these things that I was just talking about. And I don't know about you, but when we're getting close to harvest, I'm always excited to try the first apple on the tree, and usually I end up with that starchy flavor in my mouth that's not so pleasant. Yeah. So it's really good to get the maturity spot on if you can. That, that certainly is important. Yes. Yep. And ultimately, growers don't have access to all of these tools or the time to do these tests. So lately, have there been any new and non-destructive tests that can be used to measure maturity? Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, looking at quality of an apple, fruit and other fruit, but apple especially, non-destructively has been 
a longstanding um, research mandate of mine. A number of years ago, probably around 2010, a colleague of mine, Dr. Robert Prang, was traveling to meetings and whatnot in Europe, and he came back from Italy with a tool that is manufactured there, and someone gave him a challenge to find out how this tool could be used for maturity prediction purposes. Well, once that was brought into the lab, um, I kind of took it and thought hard about it, and together we worked for a number of years on developing a model for non-destructive maturity testing. Now, if you were to look at the DA uh, meter, it's a handheld, ruggedized, uh, rectangular tool, and basically it's, it's, a, it's a tool that emits light. It emits light in, in two uh, wave bands. One is 670 and the other one is 720 nanometers. And we use these two light wave bands to measure maturity. How does it do that? Well, these are indicative of chlorophyll content. What happens is that when you take a measurement, and a measurement can be taken in, in less than a couple of seconds once the little uh, tool is calibrated. Once that, um, once that measurement is taken, it, it, is gone through, uh, it goes through an algorithm in, in the machine, and you get a coefficient. And the coefficient is kind of meaningless if you don't have a model in which to place it. So what we've done over the years is to measure thousands of fruit in the immature to mature to overmature state. And doing that several years in a row for a particular cultivar in this region, we're able to combine the data and then from those readings link up or line up where optimal firmness and sugars and acidity and uh, about three months later looking at disorders coming out of storage, all of that combined uh, so that this model and its coefficients can tell us when to begin harvest and when to end harvest. And we found for Honeycrisp in particular, it's a very handy tool because Honeycrisp, if you don't pick it in the, in the zone, in the mature zone, which is a, a two or three week period, you can get all kinds of nasty disorders that really can, uh, can uh, hit you economically. So for Honeycrisp and other cultivars, this tool has been a real, a real help. Might I say it's not the only tool. You know, if growers have, growers know apples and they know through taste, color, and that sort of thing, if an apple is in the uh, optimal maturity zone in general. But this is, this is another, what I would call proxy for all of those things I talked about a couple of minutes ago. And it's, um, if you will, some insurance that what they're looking at, what they're tasting, what they're, what they're handling is, in fact, immature, mature, or overmature. So it's um, a bit of uh, an insurance tool, if you will. So, and it's like a Star Trek technology, right? Like it's a <laughs> point and shoot and, and you get an answer back. So you actually have a prop here that, well, um, the actual DA meter that we were looking at before we started recording. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty advanced technology. It, it is advanced in the sense that it can bring uh, an, an insurance of what the, perhaps the grower is thinking, or can tell he or she that, no, the fruit are not mature, leave them there for, you know, maybe another five, six days, maybe even a week. Um, it is kind of Star trek in the sense uh, that it, it, it is point and shoot, and, and really it's the interaction of these uh, wave bands with chlorophyll. Uh, the underlying principle is that as apples mature, uh, chlorophyll, and this might surprise you, but chlorophyll is in every apple, some to a larger or lesser, lesser degree. Uh, but this machine, through these two wave bands, uh, 720 nanometers and 670 nanometers, actually tracks the 
the status of chlorophyll. So a high coefficient, lots of chlorophyll, low coefficient, uh, less chlorophyll. And if you chart that over six to nine weeks consecutively, you're able to see how, how chlorophyll declines as that apple matures. And that can be related back to a lot of these other quality measurements uh, and parameters that we've talked about. So, yeah, it is, it is uh, quick, it's rapid, and you can take a lot of measurements in a short period of time that can give you kind of an average sense in your maturity over a block of interest. We found it useful. I think the industry has found it useful. And, uh, and you know, we're happy to have developed it and, and even make improvements on it in days to come. So just to recap, what you essentially did to build this model was to look at things like the starch, the sugars, all of the traditional tests of the past, and you compared it to the DA meter readings over y- time? Yes, that's exactly right. And one other thing we did is that we know as, as growers and, and uh, you know, extension specialists and researchers that you can put fruit that looks really uh, fine and top quality into storage. Three or four months later, you can take it out and, and it can be a mess. So on top of what you just said as per model development, the other thing that we did is that we took, uh, in, in this case, let's use Honeycrisp as an example. We put that uh, samples into refrigerated air storage for three months, three to four months, and then we took them back out and then looked at uh, disorders, stuff like bitter pit, superficial scald, low temperature breakdown or soggy breakdown, senescent breakdown, rot, greasiness, all of those commercially important kinds of disorders. And then we we related that back to the harvest at week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, and so on, for which we had DA meter values. And we found out something really interesting. We found, for instance, that, that bitter pit was predominant in immature fruit. And so we have a coefficient that says in, in, in Honeycrisp, if your uh, DA meter value or coefficient is greater than 0.6, it's immature. And we found, of course, it wouldn't taste as well as it would in the zone. Uh, it wasn't colored up as well as it should be. Uh, and there was a lot of bitter pit developing there. So we found that there was this, this window of immaturity that the DA meter could, could help us understand, whereby if you pick that fruit ter- too early, you would have a lot of bitter pit. And I might say the bitter pit is a, is a real problem with Honeycrisp, less so where, where we are, uh, much more a problem in the uh, mid-Atlantic states and, and Michigan and other places. And they're really, really trying to come up with ways to, to control bitter pit. We have found that the solution is to make sure that the fruit is not harvested immaturely. And the DA meter helps us ascertain when that is. Can a single model for the DA meter be used for every apple variety and in a wide range of climates? Uh, definitely not. What what we do know is that, a little backstory, Nova Scotia is unique in the what I call the finishing period. In late September, October, we have uh, often warm days and very cold nights, cool nights. And what that does is is, is cause chlorophyll to decline which is important for maturity and, and actually connected to the DA meter. Remember, it's a, a kind of a chlorophyll meter. And with our cold nights, you have chlorophyll declining and you have conditions that facilitate the upregulation of color compounds, phenolics, anthocyanins, and whatnot. And this is very important for industry because we get very, very good color. The DA meter can follow these things in our area on a particular cultivar, and that's great. But in any area that's different climatically, than what we are. It's not going to follow and track the chlorophyll decline in the same way because chlorophyll will decline differently. 
And remember, the DA meter is a chlorophyll uh, content tool. And not only um, for the same cultivar will different regions uh, be different with regard to when those DA meters, uh, when the DA meter tool, you know, uh, measures and gives the actual coefficient. Cultivars differ in their kind of seasonal ability to ripen, which is related to chlorophyll decline and so on and so forth. So we have what really is a genetic uh, times environmental um, interaction affecting when apples mature, and that certainly is affected certainly by cultivar, which is genetic, and environment growing area to growing area. So a long story, to make it short, um, the DA meter model needs to be developed for every distinct cultivar in each distinct growing region. Right, because the chlorophyll can degrade differently depending on the variety and the regional that, climate. That's exactly right. That's a short answer to a very <laughs> uh, long answer. So will the DA meter give reliable readings uh, in all growing seasons, or can it be influenced by extreme temperature changes? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I would like to say, no, it's foolproof. But we, we know no tool is foolproof. In years that we see kind of average growing seasons, what I'm talking about is, you know, September we see and into October dips in nighttime temperatures. We see warm days. Um, you know, bright days, the DA meter will be reliable insofar as it's developed. Uh, several years ago, there was an incident where the night temperatures did not drop. And much more like maybe, um, you know, a New York September or October. And what we had with Honeycrisp was a lot of very green and or yellow apples. That was an atypical year, and that had a lot of people uh, concerned about markets and so forth. And the DA meter worked less well as a predictive tool in that year. So again, no tool is foolproof. And I think I'll conclude the uh, the question by saying, on average growing years, average meaning September, October, lower nighttime temperatures that are normal, and uh, you know bright sunny days and, and warmer days, of course, it should work quite reliably. And it can be used in combination with the other maturity indicators that we've talked about. It's just another tool, basically. It, it is. And, uh, you know, if a grower does not have access to a refractometer or, or uh, a bottle of, of, of starch to do the starch test and so on and so forth, I, I would look at the DA meter as, as an indicator. Uh, certainly, the grower can look at his apples. And by looking at color, by, by tasting apples, you know, the mouth can certainly do a good job on sugar acid balances and so forth and whether starch is there or not there. Uh, but if he or she only has a DA meter and is careful to look at blocks quite carefully, you know, I think, I think that they can do a pretty good job with maturity prediction. So say an orchard operation doesn't have enough labor to harvest an apple variety in that optimum harvest window. Are there any management tools that can help delay fruit maturity? Yes, there are. One that we have worked with for quite a number of years, and the other is a, a new tool, and I refer to the antiethylene compounds Retain and Harvista. Retain is sprayed uh, a month before anticipated harvest up to a week. That's kind of a, a new uh, registration thing. Uh, Harvista is really field MCP. We know a lot about Retain. We know that Retain uh, will delay maturity. We do know that uh, Retain can work advantageously by you know, delaying maturity. It can 
delay color development, which, which you need to think about before applying it. In this area, we seem to have cultivars that respond really well to retain. So in a lot of applications, it's kind of a half rate of retain, and that needs to be kept in mind because we don't want it to work too well. We want our fruit to color up. But if I was having problems with too much coming on at once, I would consider retain used to, to you know to broaden the harvest window. As a matter of fact, we're we're testing that right now on Honeycrisp and Ambrosia under this this cluster project called the Cat Project. And so, in several years, we should have more information on that. How, uh, if it does broaden the harvest window, what can we expect with retain and Harvista? Uh, Harvista, we have very little experience with. And so the jury is still out there. Um, one of the things that we'll be looking at with, with retain and harvest is the effect on, on post-harvest quality. And so ethylene is really critical in not only how the tree matures in the tree, or how the apple matures in the tree, rather, but it's also important with kind of post-harvest issues. Also with these anti-ethylene compounds, MCP in particular, apples like Honeycrisp that tend to be CO2 sensitive, we need to test you know, does Harvista affect CO2 sensitivity of uh, Honeycrisp, for example, in storage and, and kind of evaluate that. So not sure about Harvista. Hopefully it will work with it to the point where we can add some recommendations. We just don't know lots about it. Retain is an option. We're, and with all of this, the basic thing we're trying to do is control to control the ethylene dynamics, which in turn controls a lot of other ripening and senescence characteristics. So how are the two compounds different? Like why can Harvista be applied closer to uh, maturity than retain? I think it has to do with, with not only kind of marketplace toxicological and registration kinds of issues, but there are two different kinds of chemicals. Retain stops ethylene synthesis. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, a pipeline of compounds, if you will. One is converted to the other, converted to the other, et cetera, until ethylene is formed. And uh, retain slows down the the actual uh, synthesis of ethylene. Harvista, on the other hand, inhibits or prevents ethylene action. Ethylene, when it's generated, has to combine with an ethylene receptor in order for that uh, activity to you know to uh, happen. So, in order for there to be an ethylene effect, so they 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 operate differently, and uh, you know likely therein lies some of that registration application differences. And I think as we as we work with these two compounds, there may be changes in how we um, legally apply. For example, retain 10 years ago, we could only apply it about four weeks prior to anticipated harvest. Now we have up to a week. Harvista, it's, it's up to three days, I believe. It's, you know, so hopefully with more research, we can refine these kinds of things and work with uh, those that, that take care of these kinds of uh, details. But so the jury's out on Harvista. Hang tight there. Hopefully we'll have some recommendations in the future that uh, that will be useful for the industry. Great. I look forward to that. Yeah. Ultimately, we try to harvest at the optimal maturity so that fruit can be kept in long-term storage. So can you explain how controlled atmosphere storage works? Certainly. Controlled atmosphere storage, some of the description of the actual technology is a description of how uh, the technology works. Fundamentally, it's a simple concept. I mean, in the ambient environment, as a matter of fact, the environment that we're partaking in right now, breathing, living <laughs> human beings, the oxygen is, a, is at about 21%, and CO2 is much, much, much lower than that. So what we try to do is, in a, an apple storage, we, we make sure that the room in which they are 
uh, being stored is, is tight to air exchange. And then we displace the oxygen uh, most often these days through bringing nitrogen into the storage. And what happens over a period of hours and days is that the oxygen goes lower and lower and lower um, until it gets down around a set point that we know is good for the particular cultivar. So, for example, oxygen in most CA storages is around, oh, 2 to 3 percent. That would be a standard um, controlled atmosphere environment. When that happens also, what we look for is an increase in carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide in a, in a controlled atmosphere storage can be upwards to about what the oxygen is. So if your oxygen is at 2%, it's not uncommon to find carbon dioxide at, um, at 2 or even higher percent. So fundamentally, we change the gas composition of the atmosphere that surrounds the, the apple. Well, what's that, what's that doing? Why do we do that? We do that because what we're trying to do is to slow or quiet the metabolism to the point where it's, in layman's terms, asleep. The apple, we don't kill the apple, we don't hurt the apple, but the apple is, is uh, biologically asleep or nearly so. There's still some very, very basic uh, biochemistry going on, but it's at a very, very slow rate. On top of that also is refrigeration. So when we talk about CA storage, it's control of the actual gases of that atmosphere, largely oxygen and carbon dioxide, but also refrigeration is really important there as well for maintaining the correct storage environment. And we do all of this so that apples, when they're picked, let's say in October, can be taken out of that environment eight, 10 months, or sometimes even a year, depending on the cultivar, and they are nearly as good as when you pick them off the tree. So there's, this is not an application of a chemical. So it's very consistent with organic management and conventional management, of course. And the industry has gone this way, oh, for, for a number of years. Um, we've been making greater refinements to CA storage over time, as we understand the response of a particular apple cultivar to you know, higher oxygen, higher carbon dioxide in a relative fashion or lower oxygen levels and lower carbon dioxide. So we're fine-tuning this all, all the while. One thing to keep in mind if you're a storage operator is the um, ratio between the oxygen content and the carbon dioxide content. With the new cultivars, some of them tend to, tend to be carbon dioxide sensitive. And so what we recommend, especially if you use MCP, which is common and a good practice, MCP can exacerbate carbon dioxide sensitivity in some cultivars. And so to avoid that, what we try to do is to recommend, for example, in, in Honeycrisp, kind of a one-to-one -one ratio. At least that's what we do in our research laboratory. So if you're at, you know, 2% oxygen, don't let the carbon dioxide get above 2%. Another thing is that in the past decade or so, <clears throat> we've been working with dynamic controlled atmosphere storage where we have sensors and other techniques that interact with, with the apple periodically that can tell us if that oxygen level is comfortable for the apple or not. In so doing, we're able to oftentimes keep apples 1% or lower. And that doesn't seem like a lot in mathematical terms, from 2% to 1% or lower. But biologically speaking, you can get very noticeable benefits. If you store your apples, let's say, at 1% or 0.5%, and you do that without damaging the fruit. So these little tinkerings can have larger effects 
and quality of retention when you bring fruit out of storage six, eight, ten months later. So CA storage, it's common practice. Every region uses CA storage. Uh, the jury's not out on, on one uh, st static recommendation. We'll be uh, working all the time with how to dynamically change and alter these environments so that, again, we've got increasingly more quality being retained during long-term storage and after. And to do so, um, another thing is, is minimizing disorders that can really manifest themselves if you get a CA storage wrong. So all of these things are involved when considering a, a, an ideal CA storage environment for a particular cultivar. It's really amazing that we can eat these apples months after they've been picked from the tree. Y yes, I agree with you. And uh, the biology of the apple is such where it responds very, very well to uh, these CA storage environments. And, you know, we have historically kept apples perhaps longer than other kinds of fruit, uh, but certainly today they're not kept as your grandfather might have in a barrel and a cold cellar. Some of those cultivars actually kept quite well. I think of uh, Golden Russet and, and others, but we're able to do a much, much, much better job when we control uh, the gaseous environment surrounding uh, that fruit. And, um, and hopefully we'll be able to do this even up to a year, and that actually gives the the marketing people a lot of a lot of room to uh, you know to handle their fruit and to pick the best time to release it into the market, perhaps when other regions aren't supplying. So uh, there's an advantage that way too. Well, thank you, Dr. DeLong, for joining us so that we can target the optimum stage of fruit maturity with the minimum risk of post-harvest disorders. Thanks for the invitation. It's been my pleasure to, uh, to talk to you today. Thanks for listening to the Orchard Outlook podcast. If you like our show, you can help support us by leaving a positive review. For more information, visit our website at www.perennia.ca slash learning. The show is written by Michelle with help from questions by growers and recorded by Podcast Atlantic.